Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Tropic Thunder. This is a raunchy, satirical, action, meta-comedy, mockumentary, filmmaking film. Directed by Ben Stiller. The cast includes Derek Zoolander, Iron Man, Mr. Schneebly, Grover, Jay Baruchel, Cooper, Barry, Red from Pineapple Express, The Hulk's Dad, and Tom, the Running Man, Cruz. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on YouTube. I've noticed with all, like, the frequency with which we have to go and actually rent these movies is pretty frustrating. Like, there's so many streaming services, and I have access to many of them, but there are still so many, like, great movies that you have to rent. I don't know what lesson we should take from this. Like, everyone else should change, or maybe we should change the movies we pick. Maybe. <laughs> we, we pick them. <laughs> maybe, but uh, yeah. and I, We I think only have ourselves to blame. That, well, I think there's something to be said about the um, profitability of some of these movies, where it's like, Tropic Thunder is so good, or it did so well when it came out, that people mm-hmm. will pay money again to see it now. Um, like, on totally... But there's you know, also, like, seasons, too, right? Like, I think it was yes. probably on Netflix for you know, a few years or something, and then it came off. So I don't know how that works. Right. I, I just think it's frustrating because we I was actually on the Apple Chat Twitter talking about Bubble Boy with some randos, and they were like, oh, that like I was the, doing some memes, and they were like, this is a great movie. How can I watch it? And I was, they're like, it's not on Canadian Netflix. And I was like, well, it's on YouTube. And they're like, I don't want to pay money. And I was like, okay. So fair. It, it, yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is definitely fair. But, um, it's a shame because I, I wish this was a little bit more accessible because this is a great movie. Um, why don't you tell us the synopsis for this movie, Joey? Hollywood wins again as we get a closer look at the genius and meticulous organization that goes into making a star-studded film. That's right. Um, we've got Tropic Thunder. Let's go ahead and get into it with our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about Tropic Thunder? Um, am I allowed to say it's uh, funny? It's shocking and gross, um, but totally all in. And there's a really great acting from Jack Black, Ben Stiller, and plenty of others. Uh, it really is an ensemble cast movie, and it really delivers on that part. Um, it's a standout, me- very memorable performance from Robert Downey Jr., and it goes all in so fast and never lets up. It's epic and exciting in a really comfortable way. It's like a great popcorn movie, um, and it has a pretty good story, too. What about you? I will echo your funny sentiment because this movie did make me laugh. Um, it made me laugh when I was a teenager, I think for partially different reasons, but it still makes me laugh today. Um, an amazing star-studded ensemble cast, like the kind you dream of. Um, it could have potentially been even more star-studded. We'll talk about that later. But, I mean, seriously, um, this is a crazy uh, like A-lister type uh, cast for this movie which you almost have to have for the type of satire they're going for oh uh, yeah which was another great aspect of this movie this amazing hollywood culture satire uh which I, I think goes over really well a very unique premise this movie is unlike any other movie and is it uh, well <laughs> you, you're right you're right but <laughs> it's kind of like it's, it's like it, it's like as you got a bunch of entertainers and they uh, they go into a situation where they're mistaken for something else, and then they become that thing in a way, right? I, I could think of at least two at the top of my head that are just like that. 
That's Galaxy true. Quest, but if that was Bugs Life, <laughs> if that was the only thing that this movie brought to the table, I would agree with you. But it has some very unique aspects to it that it's almost a genre at this point of like the actors are something else, you know? Sure, sure. Um, or like but, mistaken for something else. Sure, but I I still feel like this movie has a uh, unique brand with the way that it, it accomplishes that, and also some very in particular aspects that are unique to this movie. I, I'm I'm hinting a little bit here at some of the more edgy uh, topics that this movie embraces. So we'll we'll get to it. Um, hint, but hint. and but also I just think this movie is really memorable. Um, this was one of the first rated R movies I ever saw, and it has stuck with me ever since. Um, and I think that's really Really great about it now let's talk about the cons and um yeah what did you not like about tropic thunder joey well obviously not every joke lands uh especially in today's like more sensitive cl- climate um and it, i think overall it's aged pretty well but not great it's certainly not something that would come out today i think and be as well received as it was um and i think it's i mean just based on the premise alone it is kind of self-indulgent in a way um, of just like, hey, like we're uh, we're gonna blow stuff up for no reason, basically. Like we're gonna have all these guys in there and talk about how great acting is and stuff. I mean, there is that level of self awareness, but it's still so much like ah, like look look what actors can do, or like what, what look what the power of acting is, or something. You know, it, it, there is that kind of unabashedly um, like self-aggrandizing even though they're still making fun of themselves you know yeah it's like it's like hey look we're so cool we can make fun of ourselves and still have like all this stuff like great stuff happen to us you know like look at all this look at us make ourselves look cool while making fun of ourselves right right. so it's like having their cake and eating it too kind of like haha look at us in this war film but also look Look, how awesome we look in this look how yeah look how like Look how like uh, down with the kids and like look how self aware we are, right? <laughs> like saying that doesn't really make you very self aware. <laughs> I, I just feel like it's not possible without like this type of satire wouldn't be possible without them doing that. You know, like it's like sure. you wouldn't be able to make these kind of uh, criticisms as um, they wouldn't hit as hard if they weren't making fun of literally themselves. You know, so That's I don't a good know. Point. I, I I think it's necessary, but I agree they do definitely get to have both. Um, I, I don't know. I think this movie's pretty great. I think it accomplishes what it sets out to do for the most part. Um, but I would have liked to see more satire for like actual Hollywood filmmaking, like we see at the beginning. And one of the most memorable scenes, just like really starts that kicks the whole thing off. Literally, is the like big production um, opening sequence. Oh, yeah, yeah, with the with the actual movie set on it and. I, I think that's super hilarious. I think that if you can't see any more of this movie, just seeing that scene, I think is a good way to get a taste of what Tropic Thunder set out to do. But like, it's almost like two phases of it. It's like, here's the, we're tricking you into thinking this is a real war movie. And then after that, let's dive into like the, what what's rotting underneath. But I kind of wish we'd gotten more of that Hollywood. Like this is what it's like to be on a movie set and make fun of what literally goes on for all movies um, as opposed to just getting straight into the specific story of Tropic Thunder. I mean, that's you have to right, tell right, that story, right. but I, I kind of wish we had gotten more of the onset. Here's what prima donnas really do on a real movie set as opposed to in an active war zone. Um, yeah, you get less. It's like even though all of our characters are kind of dysfunctional, they still like accomplish the goal that they set out to do, even if they're kind of haphazardly doing it, you know? 
it, it would have been interesting to see them fail miserably, I guess, because yes, like yes. they because they are so dysfunctional and, and useless as people. Right. Um, so, okay. So those are our pros and our cons. Now let's dive into our overall section and really get into this movie. Joey, take it away. This was um, better than I remember it being. I thought this was going to be like a series of kind of pretty good bits, but it actually like flows together really nicely. And the script is pretty well written. Uh, I think there's a lot of things this movie does really well. Uh, it has a really great cast. Obviously, we've talked about that a lot. And uh, they're all working really hard to deliver on uh, like their own conflicting um, and over-the-top storylines. Uh, it has a really decent script um, and some really great callbacks. Like the whole panda thing, that was freaking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Where he accidentally kills a panda. And he's like, his whole thing right now is that he loves pandas. Uh, the TiVo thing with Matthew McConaughey is epic. Um, and Throughout the whole Jack. movie. It's so yeah. funny the way that every time it, like they're talking about all this stuff, that his agent... <laughs> cannot see past this like problem with the TiVo. Like he's right, talking well, about all this other crazy stuff going on. He's like, wait, yeah. did you say no TiVo? <laughs> I am the set. Wait, they still haven't hooked up the TiVo? Yeah. <laughs> the whole simple jack thing is great too. That's a great like running gag. Um and there's some really hilarious twists and a, like a really solid ending too that like mirrors the beginning. Um so yeah overall well-written movie yeah definitely um, i felt like it was a good like that was why i was having trouble criticizing it because again i was like i kind of wish the whole movie had been like this overblown action thing which at times it does return to that especially when they literally do the the scene from the movie <laughs> again at the end of the movie that's great a great return to that um but i felt like all it all made sense the 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 parts in between that are like maybe you could say a little bit less memorable or a little bit more boring they are important in building the characters um and, and making it so that you can tie this thing up at the end oh yeah um but i think the thing that makes the movie really hilarious and like makes it kind of stand above where it normally would be it's just it's perfect like um adherence to we're going to make the most ridiculous movie we can um and it's just dedication to that um the beginning sequence is just so epic and it sets the stage for the entire rest of the movie every other moment is just trying to live up to that and i think yes. on the most part it totally delivers which i think is amazing um and then hidden beneath all of the you know curse-filled rants light racism and the gay <laughs> jokes is a movie about actors um and about the role those actors like like play in our society yep um, Robert Downey Jr. plays a character named Kirk Lazarus, who is a like classic method actor. He always really gets into all of his roles. Um, and at first glance, he's kind of a, an odd choice for this movie, I think, because I don't think you normally would see Robert Downey Jr. in a Ben Stiller comedy. Usually, he's like he's in movies that have a little bit more of an emotional range. Uh, but I think Ben Stiller is kind of an underrated director. Um, he's always been very competent. And he's like he's a great actor. And all of his movies often have a surprising amount of heart in them. Like I'm thinking of like um, Night in the Museum or even like Dodgeball, you know, like there's a, there's a surprising amount of like kind of good feeling, happy endingness to those movies that like uh, it's, it's character driven. Um, and yeah, I think for that reason, Robert Downey Jr. is a great choice to fit in there because he does bring this extra level of like acting chops to this movie. Um, and his method acting as Kirk Lazarus and as the actor's actor, right? He's like what other actors like aspire to be like, um, really shows and highlights the positives and negatives that come along with being a character like that in yeah. real life. Yeah, well, it's a challenge, right? Not, I mean, this is such, such an ambitious character. 
Um, and you, you can't have somebody, it would not work at all unless you had someone who's amazing at acting, you know, and Robert Downey Jr. really brings that, um, in this, I don't know. It's such a hard thing to do is to be like, say, you're a great actor. Now act like that, you know? Right. Act like an actor who acts great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's crazy. Uh, but yeah, he, I mean, the way I would describe him is in two parts, right? He's talented and confident, Kirk Lazarus. Um, and he has all of these awards because he's pushed himself further than anybody else has. Um, and he thinks of acting as kind of this humble yet noble profession that's all about human connection. But at the same time, he's also hacky and insecure. He thinks that acting is like an ultimate skill because it makes you into anything you say you are, whether that's you know a rice farmer, a monk, or even a black guy. Um, so like it's this dichotomy of being self-aware enough to understand how to portray himself uh, in the media, but, but also not being self-aware enough to know that what he's doing is extremely inappropriate, uh, which I think is kind of how this whole movie is in, in a way too, right? It's self-aware enough to understand that being self-aware is, is kind of this fun way of poking fun at yourself, but not, it doesn't go far enough to make the actors in this movie look completely ridiculous, right? And, and for that reason, it's like, no, it's a little bit of pulls his punches. It's, it's, it's more fun than it is like haunting, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah. And it, it's like, I mean, it could pose, um, it could make the same character totally irredeemable. You know, a, a lot of people look at something like doing blackface as irredeemable. Right. Right. Uh, but they create him as like a sympathetic character who is just confused about who he is. And that's his biggest struggle as opposed to being somebody who's so, I don't know, vain or just totally irredeemable in some sense where they're willing to do this because it's self-gratifying or glorifying in their eyes. Um, and there's no, and, and to show that how destructive that is, how inappropriate that is, uh, and just run him into the ground, right? They instead right, are right, able right. to create a story arc for him to redeem himself um, when you could have taken it the other direction and just completely pushed him to the edge uh, and then totally destroyed him in some way, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing is like it, it is that risk, right? And you have to always think like this is a act that there are actual people who are like playing these characters, right? Like they're all exaggerations. Um, and I wonder how much of that is like comes from Ben Stiller's own experience, you know? Like what does he see in himself or someone like Tom Cruise um, and like where they fit on that kind of spectrum. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's interesting. Have you ever watched um, Entourage? No. Well, Entourage is a show about basically like what it's like to be a movie star. And Mm -hmm. the, the Entourage are like the main character's friends and they all interact with you know, the things that happen in his life, you know? Um, but there's like this one central character who he's a, you know, at the beginning of the series, a new like face on the scene. And eventually he goes on to star in like superhero movies and all these other things. And that changes his life and, and the people around him and all this other stuff. And it's kind of like Hollywood, a list actor simulation, you know, yeah. because yeah. he's not a real character in the movies he stars in aren't real, but the actors that are in there with him are real actors playing themselves in the in the show, right? Right. So it's kind of a fun way to just you know get into that um, 
situation. I think Tug Speedman kind of plays that same character where it's like the protagonist actor in the simulation where it's like he does everybody loves action movies. So he does action films and he, he gets paid the most. That's why he's important is because his movies made the most money. Um, right. And then now he has to redeem himself after having been in like a total major flop. Um, and, and well, multiple flops because he was in uh, Scorcher Six and Simple Jack, of course. Um, and it, I don't know. I don't think that that really is something that um, Ben Stiller would identify with specifically. You know, because I don't think that there's some sort of parallel you can draw to a real life Ben Stiller action movie that flopped or something, or some or some franchise that made him. But I think we all understand kind of the archetype of an actor who became popular as a result of being part of a popular franchise, right? That's interesting. And to see them have to go out and redefine themselves outside of that um, is something we're very familiar with. It's a, just a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when there's someone you, f- you feel like you're familiar with, you know, someone that you feel like you know. Yeah. Like and seeing them doing something unusual, it, it, it bring it's like it's a, it makes you kind of stop and think about it a little bit more like think about daniel radcliffe and swiss army man right you know like we're very familiar with how he is in harry potter but like in that movie he's totally he's completely different he's unrecognizable as as our favorite wizard you know so it's a um it's interesting to like kind of bring that back and and it reminds you a little bit of that there really are just people and they you know they have their own ambitions and things outside of what you think they should do right and it's cool to see i mean i always love the way that ben stiller um, casts himself in his own projects, you know? Yes, um, me too. It's always an interesting, because, you know, it's, it's always super very, intentional. It's like, yeah, it's it's always very, like, I don't know, it's, it has a self-aware aspect to it. It's a very, like, almost demeaning thing that he, he'll usually put himself in kind of a non-sympathetic light, which I appreciate a lot, you know? I'm thinking yes. of movies like um, uh, Saving Sarah Marshall, which was directed by um, uh, Jason Seagal, and he's, like, the main character, and he's, like... Like he's in love with all these beautiful women wait, wait, wait. who are What's also in love with him. What saving Sarah Marshall? Isn't it dating Sarah Marshall? No, it's saving Sarah Marshall, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. I've seen it, but it was a long time ago. Anyway, the whole thing is just a, like a fluff piece for him and about how great he is and all these beautiful women that he's directed to to make out with him. You know? <laughs> right, right. Um, we were both wrong. It's forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, I, they, that's a little ironic. I, <laughs> we both forgot. don't really care. Uh, I would like to forget forgetting Sarah Marshall. Uh, um, okay. But also, um, I mean, just Tug Speedman, like part of his motivation is like, um, and this, this kind of goes to Kirk Lazarus as well. It's like trying to get the Academy, like to impress the Academy, which is another right. thing that this movie takes on as far as like criticizing Hollywood culture because everybody cares so much about this Academy, even though personally as a fan of movies, I don't, I could not care less. Like I I think we've talked about this before, but it's like, I appreciate when good movies are awarded these Academy awards because they deserve some sort of recognition. But I hate when people let the awards go into a different movie somehow insult the the works they like you know there's yes. it shouldn't take away from anything else just because some group of elitists decided it wasn't the best you know right well that's the thing i mean there's so many problems with the oscars in general but it's just or award shows in, in total but um 
but I, my my philosophy has always been exactly what you just said. If it's if it's great when you win one, but it doesn't mean anything if you did it. Right. Which like that probably means it means the award awards a lot, and that's exactly my intention. So. <laughs> Well, yeah, and it's like same thing as like was Leonardo DiCaprio not a good actor before before the he, right? It's like no, that's <laughs> that you're you know that so that alone it's and, and I mean this is I don't want to get off on this tangent, but you also have to think about how the whole the fact that your movie came out during a certain time frame is totally um, nebulous. Like it means nothing. It, it yes. just because your movies contest like against this movie doesn't necessarily mean anything. They weren't made to compete with each other. So that's right. Anyways. Um, well, if they are, then it's lesser too. Yes, you know? yeah. Um, so that that's uh, partially on Tug Speedman. I mean, with Tug Speedman, we also have to talk about the character of Simple Jack because there was like this was one of the more controversial aspects of this movie was how they kind of tried to make like playing a retarded character into something humorous. Um, mm-hmm. And while you can take a look at it from just that baseline of like haha they said retard like i'm sure there are people who actually do think that's funny like very lowbrow kind of comedy but i also think that the criticism of acting and and what it means to to take on like kirk lazarus talking about what it's like to go full retard i think is an interesting thing to discuss you know and and yeah yeah it's yeah. nuanced i think i mean movies especially like biopics or not, not even biopics but movies about characters are about people that are interesting and if the only thing that is different about you is that you have some sort of mental handicap that then doesn't make you that interesting honestly it just makes you a normal person so you have to have some sort of thing that makes you interesting right he says like Dustin Hoffman he's like he's not a retard he's just autistic he's got he has all of these other like I wouldn't say superpowers, but he has all of these other mental capacities that other people don't have. Uh, that, and that makes him interesting. Right. And, and the, the examples he gives are all really great. And that's kind of why I think Simple Jack falls in its face, I guess, in, in a way. Although I think it indulges a lot in its like, hey, he's playing someone who's dumb, you know, like, yes. get it? Like, that's the thing. And although they're like saying, oh, that's bad, they're still doing it. <laughs> so... It was definitely I think that there is a certain part of me as like a when I was a teenager who watched that and was like, ha ha, like, look how much of an idiot Ben Stiller looks like right now. Like they made mm-hmm. him put the teeth in. That's so funny. And now watching it when I'm a little bit older, a little bit more not stupid, I realize how it, it was way more uncomfortable for me. Like the, yeah, it yeah. didn't seem like it shouldn't be in the movie, but I feel like it, it only it only hit as a criticism. Um, and, and to spend so much time on it was almost excruciating, uh, because I was like, okay, this is really not good. You know, um, uh, like, like having the, <laughs> yeah, but uh, having the, uh, the only redeem, oh, go ahead, sorry, go ahead. Well, like the, having simple Jack in the background of the, uh, of the agent, uh, of his office with him, like prancing around with like an arm that rotates with a mallet in its hand. I was just like, Oh, this is so weird, dude. I don't want to look at this. Yeah. Imagine the person who built that. Right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think the only redeemable part about this is that as soon as he gets any sort of recognition, it goes immediately to his head. You know, he's like, "Oh my gosh, they love me here! Yeah. Like, I'm gonna keep doing this." You know, like, no, like, uh, like he totally forgets where he is and like the situation he's in. And he's like, "I'm just an actor playing a, co- a part for the people that love me." And it's like, yeah, but like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> what character are you playing? <laughs> 
Yeah, so that one definitely you have to talk about that when you talk talk uh, Tug Speedman. Um, but it, it's I don't know. I still think it's I still even though it's you know, obviously offensive and all that stuff. Like I don't think it makes this movie unwatchable or or makes it so that you shouldn't watch this movie because mm-hmm. like I still think that the overall feeling you come away from or come away with with Simple Jack was this is not what you should be doing in a film and and that's right. like the point you know i think a lot of people who are offended by this would agree yes i um i agree not not something that holds up also just one more thing it just came back to me tug speedman i think that's a clear reference to tom cruise i think he's uh Oh, I think yeah, he's yeah, supposed yeah. to be like a like an A-list Tom Cruise type, I think. Definitely, definitely. So, Action hero for and, sure. And I think the yeah, I think the uh the Scorcher Six, I think it's supposed to be like Mission Impossible or some sort of other action <laughs> franchise. So Which is anyway. I love I mean, those are so good. The the intro uh, the, like the intro things are so the awesome. trailers at the beginning. Which again, that's part of what makes this movie so unique is it's like what a hilarious little bit to do to to kick the movie off. It really sets the tone for like what this movie is trying to do. I think the thing that makes that so the most amazing part about that is that those appear before the studio logos do. So it's almost like a real trailer, you know? Yes. Like normally like the studios have to have their bits, right? They have to have their little, they have to have their, you know, minutes or two minutes of like exposure. But like they said, Nope, we're going to do the, in order for these bits to work, we have to do it before the studio logos. Definitely. I think that's just, you know, that, Proof of dedication, right? Well, yeah. I mean, and then you just take it to the theater when it actually would have come out. These commercials would have been right next to actual commercials. So it's right. indistinguishable. So I can only imagine the feeling like, what is going on? This is so <laughs> I love bizarre. that so much. Like that, I didn't see it in the theater because I was too young, but it would have been, I know it would have been amazing. Um, so an amazing bit. It's really clear what they were going for and you can easily imagine it. So yeah. it's awesome. Um, so moving on from... Tug Speedman, we've got Jeff Portnoy, who is played by Jack Black, and he's a toilet humor drug addict who's famous for his fatties movies. <laughs> where he plays a bunch of different characters. Right, where he does um because apparently this is a um this is parodying the clumps, which uh the Nutty Professor 2, starring Eddie Murphy, where they did the same right. bit where he played all the different characters. And I love it. They did such a good job of boiling it down to just being every character is the same joke, fat and farting. What? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Which is, yeah, which is pretty hilarious. And then he he's pretty much, I don't know, his character I feel like could have been fleshed out a little bit more because he is kind of like, he's just fat and, and addicted to drugs. But Jack Black is hilarious on screen. Like he, he. Oh man, I, I think it's, I think this is so funny because he's like, it's so un- it's kind of unusual for his kind of characters. Usually, he's a little more clean cut, and I think his storyline more than any of the other ones conflict with the main storyline. Right, his whole his like like point A to point B is just happens like by the chance of <laughs> you know movie logic that to line up with what with their common goal. Right, he is on a totally different track than the rest of them and it just happens to be somewhat parallel to theirs it's i think that's hilarious i wish there was more like like that where everyone was kind of in the same situation but going in totally different directions right, going on their own journey yeah <laughs> that's right <laughs> oh man and 
one of the things that really strikes me about uh, this movie is how well it kind of camouflages itself with its own packaging. Like when you look at the cover art for uh, Tropic Thunder, it's got Robert Downey Jr., uh, Ben Stiller, and Jack Black, and they're all in a very like realistic war kind of movie pose. Um, especially Jack Black, I love seeing him transform from what we know him as, which is like the doughy, uh, like fun, like you know, funny guy, rock and roll funny guy into this like war zone looking kind of guy. Um, and he's totally everywhere in between at the same time. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, and his, his like rants that he goes on while he's tied to the tree and trying to convince everybody <laughs> to go is, is hilarious. Like, um, I just love Jack hey, Black. I'm hey, so, I'm remember so Remember way back when I called your mom a cankerous whore? <laughs> Yeah, he's such a good member of an ensemble cast. I wonder how much this his performance yes. here was calculated into his inclusion into um, Jumanji. They're like, <laughs> yeah, you got to have this guy because he can pull his own weight even in like just part of an ensemble cast. But yeah, well, he has like one of the best range in in that movie too because he's usually playing a character. Well, he was. I mean, he was technically playing a woman inside a man's body, right? Which was not what any of the other people were doing right you know well, the only person that like was even close was like the rock um but, but like jack black definitely has that like the, the acting chops to pull something like that off more than anyone else did you uh did you cringe when you bit into the bat yes i did <laughs> i didn't know that jack black started coronavirus right <laughs> um that oh, was also oh yeah also the way that they kind of make fun of um the classic and in, in so many war movies you have the like um uh, tinnitus ear after an explosion and there's like people saying things and, and things kind of slow, mo- slow motion and you see Jack Black like my ass <laughs> my ass like that was so funny such a good way to to make that kind of scene so ridiculous uh, so funny <laughs> uh, so yeah Jeff Portnoy is a, a great character um, we've already talked about um, Kirk Lazarus so I want to move on to Al Pacino um, and Al Pacino is the only actual african-american in this film and i think they did like i think the main thing you're supposed to get out of al pacino is this criticism of the hyper masculinity that is associated with rap music sure um because he has his um his rap song that you hear very briefly like called i love the pussy which is so so on the nose um and then he has his busted nut bars and booty sweat is the name of his drink um he is and i and like like i said it's this hyper masculinity that conflicts with his what he really is which is he's gay so um he has to basically play this character he's also acting even though his character is supposed to be more authentic it's like who he really is um because there's a stereotype that i think a lot of rappers are forced into where it's like this is what's marketable this is what works you have to say these things to be successful and it's not just his own journey to be successful he constantly talks about his community efforts and how he's kind of doing this to help the black community which not only i as a person who follows a lot of black entertainers in the rap community is an important thing like two chains is a is an absolute legend in georgia because he is super rich from his career but he also does a lot of community outreach and helping in atlanta um and, and a lot of rappers do that in their own, you know, cities. Um, and I'm glad they brought that up, but he, he has to 
pretend to be this other person almost not because of his self-interest but because that's what's best for his community which right. i think is i i kind of wish they'd put that a little bit more to the forefront um because i think that's an important thing to consider where it's like hey how about maybe the community has to ha- you know throw him a bone and and play ball with the idea of having a more diverse type of right. um role model come out of their community not necessarily just to be this hyper masculine um rapper where you can be your because he's still a good guy he's still doing all those things he's like the he's only gay. other straight person i mean sorry <laughs> I just thought the right i meant to say he's the only other straight guy in yes. the uh in the in the cast right besides jay baruchel who is like he, he's like playing it completely straight yes. all the other ones are being ridiculous but but al pacino the character is not he's totally like a normal guy um and his kind of bit is that he keeps trying to like product place booty sweat in like the most yes. inappropriate times but like he's doing it for like the most wholesome reason you can think of like <laughs> yes and that's what makes it so that's what makes it so much better because you could just do a criticism of black culture and be like look at how grotesque this is like booty sweat you're talking about mm-hmm. like because um i actually ordered some booty sweat dude i had came out. i had some booty sweat in uh in ninth grade so there's some guys in my class who brought it into our french class uh, <laughs> I was a freshman. They were juniors, and they like brought in booty sweat. They were like posing with it. And stuff. Uh, yes, it no. I like me and my friends. We all. I actually back in my like pre like internet content creation days, I made like a home video of me and the boys reviewing booty sweat because uh, we ordered it. We were like, we'll, we'll all chip in a few bucks and order one case, and we'll all drink it. Um, and that because we were obsessed with this movie, and um, it was. It was as an energy drink, but it was such an, a weird experience actually ordering that because it's such a, it's so blatant. Like it has like butts yeah. on the can and stuff. Um, but again, you, it's funny enough to make that criticism and just say like, look, um, butts and like rap culture mm. is bad or whatever. Um, or there's improvements that could be made. It's very chauvinistic, but which is good. It's a real criticism, but I like that they go the extra step to be like, he's doing that because that's what's marketable. And he wants to be as successful as possible for the right reasons, as opposed to some of these other guys who are trying to just be successful because they want to be successful and rich and, and Hollywood. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think they did a really good job on Al Pacino. Um, and he's, uh, one of the more background characters i feel like yeah 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 no he's, he's definitely more nuanced too uh, uh, awesome so so that's al pacino i have more on him a little bit later but we'll keep it moving um we've got kevin sandusky like you were saying not in a sexuality type of way um but he is the other straight man <laughs> right uh because he's he does he doesn't have this huge personality that all these other actors bring he's like supposed to be the novice actor and it's hilarious because he's the only one who has he follows the real acting directions like he actually <laughs> yes. went to the boot camp that was supposed to prepare them for this so he can read the map like he's he's like done his research on the area and knows basically more than nothing which is which puts him in a, a new class above the rest of the actors um and i yeah i it, he's a necessary part of this ensemble cast because it is it's funny to see the ridiculous people act ridiculous around him which is our baseline normal yes exactly and he's actually read the book and the script yes uh, which neither nobody else has <laughs> which doesn't even make sense to me how can you possibly even be in a movie without having read the script (laughs) they just cater to him too much you know just like what's my line again oh yeah and they just learn it right there it's so Um, funny 
but yeah, he's, I mean, he, he plays a necessary role. I think that he's more of a team player in this one. Um, yeah. And, uh, but, it, but it makes it that much funnier for the other characters. I'll, I'll bring up an example. Like when they're, um, pretending to take a piss next to him, uh, that, that joke only works because there's a straight man. You have to yeah, have yeah, somebody yeah. that's normal to bounce. Actually those trying out. to take a piss. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that smelled like baloney for some reason. <laughs> Is that how you convinced us that it was real? Like <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> well, and then uh, Tug Speedman comes up after with a can of booty sweat and <laughs> cracks that open to pretend yeah, to piss. It sprays all over his face. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yes. So that's, yeah, that's him. Um, Damien Cockburn is supposed to be the sat- satirization of the novice or, or new on the scene director. Right. Honestly, I didn't feel like he did all that bad. I felt like he was just there to show that some directors can't handle their actors. Um, Steve Coogan is a great comedy guy. He's like a really, he's a great British comedian. Oh, he's so good. He was, I fell in love with him after uh, Around the World in 80 Days. He was, oh, is he, he in was, that? I didn't know that. Yeah, he plays the like inventor who's the main character and then with oh, yeah. Jackie Chan. Um, that's a good movie. That's a good kids movie. Like uh, I, re- I, re- I watched it not that long ago. It still lives up. If you have to watch like a movie with kids, try to make it around the world in eighty days because you'll <laughs> all enjoy it. Um, but yeah, he's good in this one, and I think it's so brave of them to take him out for the rest of the movie, <laughs> like to actually oh, kill man. off his that character so of, early. That's one of the best written bits of this whole movie. Is where he finally gets up like the courage to like like knock some sense into the into these guys and be like all right here oh my god he says like the most motivational thing ever he's got all this like momentum and he's like all right guys we're gonna do this like we're gonna make the best movie ever we're gonna do all this stuff you don't know what's real anymore like i'm gonna put you right in the middle of it and you're not gonna know right and then he immediately blows up and they're like <laughs> like if he had if he had if that had happened even like one second before it would not have been it would have been pretty clear that was an accident but because of the like it happens directly after he gives his whole speech and decides that he's done giving the speech. You don't know what's real, right? right. Like they, they, they're immediately confused. It's <laughs> is so perfect. Oh my god! Oh, it's such a good bit. And then having Ben Stiller playing with the head after blood flavored corn syrup. <laughs> it was such that was hilarious. Grows out. Humor. I was I was impressed with that prop too. Right? Like yes. it had to look like not of prop head it had to look like a real head even though obviously it's a prop head right and like all the guts are falling out of it and everything <laughs> yes they have no fear of death <laughs> i'm not yes I, i'm not a fan of gross out humor but that had me laughing like the well having him stick his finger up in it, it uh, uh. Uh, all the stuff at the beginning too with like like where jay barishall's yes. guts are coming out of his stomach and like <laughs> it's like what even is this oh man that was so great <laughs> well it's like it's so gratuitous like that scene where he turns around and he's like what the fuck and he's getting like sliced yeah, up by the stab. bayonet just like it's not just stabbing him it's like staying in him and like slicing him he's just standing there ah, like <laughs> but before that like the one guy gets his head like he gets his a bullet in the back of his head and then jack black is like scooting him around so he gets more blood on his face <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was oh so God. good. Because I, I, I've changed so much since I first saw this. I used to be so squeamish. When I watched this, it was as hard for me to watch as, like, when I first watched this when I was a teenager, it was as hard to watch as Saving Private Ryan, another one yeah, of yeah, my yeah, first yeah. rated R movies, where I was like, this is so real. Oh, my gosh. And then now I'm watching it, and I'm like, this is so clearly overdone. <laughs> <laughs> I think part of it is because we know what what's going to happen. Yeah. But I think also... 
like I was I was definitely aware of that. It was like I, when I first saw it, I'm thinking like, wow, this is really intense. And then watching it now, it's just like there's no way like yes. <laughs> it's so crazy well i love and, and again with jay baruchel like acting you know his reaction to that guy shooting blood out of the back of his head was just like what the fuck <laughs> what the? he's just yelling that you know like, <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh, yes. man, that, that was hilarious so he he's great i wish i had I don't know, like, Jay Baruchel is so notable as far as, like, he's been in some important movies, but he always kind of plays a little bit less, I don't know, like, I didn't even, it's hard, I have trouble remembering his name, you know? Even yeah, though I recognize it's hard his to face. pronounce his name, that's part of the problem. Yes. <laughs> he was in uh, How to Train Your Dragon, he's, um, Hiccup in How to Train Your Dragon, and he's in, um, Million Dollar Baby, which won an Academy Award, too, mm. I think. He's like so, one of the main characters in that. So yeah, so Kevin Sandusky, um, we'll keep it moving here. Or sorry, that we were actually discussing uh, Cockburn there for a second. Uh, but Rick Peck, the Hollywood agent, another like classic Hollywood thing that you have to portray if you're going to make a movie about Hollywood. Um, and it, I think, again, like his his TiVo bit is definitely the running gag throughout this movie. But I also like how he wishes Tug was his son. Like he he. <laughs> Spends all this time being encouraging and working so hard to make Tug's life better. And not just from like a career perspective as far as like, you know, getting him opportunities, making sure his contract is fulfilled, but also uh, making sure he's happy and taken care of from like an emotional standpoint. And then his son is just totally bland and nothing, you know, like he's always so disappointed that his son is At just At least you got normal. to pick yours. <laughs> yeah, which is so fucked up things it's so harsh yeah like and then the picture is so spot on too like the kid doesn't even look happy in that photo um i thought that was hilarious like i don't even i i don't know if that's true i don't know any hollywood agents but i wonder if that's like a real thing where it's like yeah hollywood agents like hate their actual family or hate their kid and they love their client like a kid no, Matthew McConaughey is so great. It's so great that he had had him for this movie. Did you know um, it was almost Owen Wilson? Yes, I saw that on Wikipedia. Yeah, apparently. And what it's like, how do you like the connections you must have to be like, oh no, Owen Wilson can't do it. Guess our backup Matthew McConaughey no, is, will have to this do. This is like totally a studio movie. I mean, they they got all of the you know the actors guild together. Yes, for this, yes. Know? Um, but uh, yeah, I thought he was funny. Just high energy Matthew McConaughey. It's it, you. I love to hear him talk. It was interesting to see the... I do not remember the internal conflict. From the first time I watched this movie, I totally oh, yeah. forgot about him trying to decide if it's worth letting his his client die, his son, his, his pseudo-son die, if it means becoming incredibly rich. Uh, I know. I love that, too. It's just like, what a dilemma, you know? Like... <laughs> He's like, oh man, and then they it's play like so torn up. Yes, well, and then this naturally leads us to Les Grossman, who uh, is the studio executive, and he is abs- He is so over the top, so um, high energy, so destructive and loud, and, and and like take no prisoners. Always gets what he wants. Um, this for me, I thought this was totally bizarre when I first saw the movie. I was like, what? what? Why do they have this guy? I mean, it's like, that's why everything's crazy because there's this man at the top that controls everything and that's what makes Tropic Thunder, Tropic Thunder. Is they mm-hmm. like, what if studio execs totally broke all the rules, had way too much power? What if? 
Now I feel like it's like, hey, this is what happens. <laughs> this is actually them just lifting the curtain and saying, hey, look at these monsters that run the studios. And this is how we're going to make fun of them. Right. I don't know. I think there's, I think there's, a, it's certainly an exaggeration, right? But his like um, feelings of like people are expendable and just like assets to be, you know, discarded it certainly has some sort of, you know, realism to it, I think. I think there's definitely that's definitely like an American aspect of this movie, um, but no, like I think Les Grossman like stands apart just because he's played by Tom Cruise and he's done so perfectly and he's such <laughs> a like insane character just in general. You know, it's, it's probably one of the most memorable parts of the movie. Um, it's just him and his uh, and all of his rants and stuff. I think. I think it's actually awesome that he's I, like he's in this movie as much as he is, you know. Mm -hmm. Like it, he could have just been in one or two scenes, but he's he actually plays like a significant part, moves the plot forward several times. Um, is you know uh, certainly an integral part and memorable part of the movie. So that's awesome. But I mean, what, I, what I'm obviously going to lead to here is like now I feel like this is much more of a criticism towards like a Harvey Weinstein type where that mm. makes a lot more sense to me now that I know the like the, the horrible things that he's done it would make sense that people would want to make fun of him because Harvey Weinstein also not a very attractive guy um, I've actually heard some really horrible things about what he looks like naked because there have definitely been people who had to see that and they didn't want to um, but he's got like the bald cap on he's wearing a fat suit like his fingers are so fat like sausages. yeah he's wearing fake hands yeah <laughs> so um which not only is that just hilarious to see because tom cruise is such a conventionally attractive like lead male like he, he is everything of like that hollywood portrays to be an attractive guy and like the lead man and what you should strive for from like a looks perspective and to see him jump to the opposite end of that spectrum is just startling or, or it's, it's interesting just because it is um but also to see uh this studio exec act so monstrous you know i just i see it in such a different light now um mm. than i did before because i feel like there's actual truth to this criticism as opposed to just total hyperbole like especially with like death being totally cool it's like okay if death if killing your actors is fine nothing's off the table you know right and right right, right. there's a, a slightly i mean things are just as bad that harvey <laughs> weinstein did that um really happened you know so, right. so I feel like I, I, it, for me, it makes the character of Les Grossman that much better because not only is he hilarious, not only is he amazing on screen, um, but he's also a valid criticism of something that really should be criticized and maybe a lot of people didn't know about and, or don't know about. And the way that he dances to low is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's, uh, let's keep this moving and uh, go to our cool Easter eggs. And, okay. Yes, and I have a cool Easter egg that Kevin Hart was actually offered the role of Al Pacino, but he said on an interview with The Breakfast Club that he didn't want to portray a gay character, which... That's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> No, and he says he regrets it. He says that he wishes that wasn't something that he... Um, but he said he that honestly was his thought process was that he, like the whole the the fact that the character was going to be revealed as gay he said it was something he didn't want associated with his brand and mm. um i think in 2008 maybe that's a risk you know maybe that's something that um kevin hart i don't yeah, know yeah but Ke like kevin if hart anyone's gonna break that glass ceiling you know mm -hmm. 
No, no, I'm not saying that he's justified in it or that he's right, but I think at the time, like Kevin Hart is so mega successful, you know, I'm sure he's super calculating about everything. Um, he's up there with the rock as far as like hardest working man in Hollywood, like always punches. Yes. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. The counting the punches that they take where he's like, I don't, this doesn't work out in my calculus that being revealed as the gay character from this movie with all these A-listers, uh, is going to work out for me. But I just wanted to like bring up that he did regret it, that it was a possibility for him. I mean, can you imagine this movie had Kevin Hart also like while Brandon T. Jackson did great in his role as um, Al Pacino, he doesn't bring the same name recognition as Kevin yeah. Hart does. Um, it would have just been piling on. It, it, it honestly made, it makes more sense that it would be Kevin Hart than, than Brandon T. Jackson. Um, you know, just because everyone else is already so Yeah, famous. yeah, yeah. But yeah, I just thought it was interesting. It is interesting. Um, all right, my first one is... Uh, the uh, key grip. So um, le- at one point, Les Grossman is on a video call with the, the with the uh, all the crew and he's upset with the with the director because he, um, he he like wasn't shooting while the explosion was happening. Right. And they, this explosion cost like four million dollars or something. So he says, hey, who's the key grip? Will you go punch the director in the face? Um, and the reason that they chose the, the key grip, I didn't know what a key grip was, so I had to look it up. They're in charge of like moving heavy equipment and like especially lights. They're in charge of the lights. So, um, like some people theorize that the reason he chose the key grip is because he's probably one of the strongest people in the crew and like would probably be able to deliver the best punch. (laughs) (laughs) But what's actually interesting is the guy who plays the key grip in this movie was an actual member of the crew for Tropic Thunder. He was not the key grip. He was the transportation captain. Uh, but I guess he looked tough enough that they got him to do it. So it was a good-looking punch, too. It was. Uh, <laughs> I, you can tell they cut some frames in there, but it definitely, it definitely didn't hold back. <laughs> Boom! Awesome. Um, also, uh, just a, a kind of an interesting note: there are no pandas outside of China, except for in zoos. So when he's going through the jungle there, I he, unless he's actually in China, which I don't think he would be. I think they they mentioned that he might they might be in uh what in nepal or something but not in china okay so that like i looked up in wikipedia where pandas are and they're like in mainland china like totally landlocked like that's the only place in the world they exist so it's not like there are like multiple species of panda roaming throughout asia it's like they're only existing that one part. so no animals were harmed in the making of this film is that what you're saying you, you're saying that panda looked pretty real <laughs> <laughs> it <laughs> so real Almost as real uh, as Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Justin Thoreau, uh, who was one of the writers for this movie, it was Ben Stiller in, in this guy. Um, he actually is an actor himself and plays uh, Timothy Bryce in American oh. Psycho, which we watched uh, a couple weeks ago. So that was pretty interesting. That is cool. Um, a little interesting connection there. Um, yeah. Part of the Apple oh, Chat cinematic universe. That's right. <laughs> Um, the last one I want to talk about is that, uh, Ben Stiller is like a real Tom Cruise fan. So I was trying to find some like interview with him. I couldn't find anything off the top of my head. Um, but I did find this clip, this like sketch bit that Tom Cruise and Ben Stiller did together with Ben Stiller plays Tom Cruise's stunt double, which is, is, it's really funny. You have to watch it. We'll link to it. Um, 
Tom Cruise famously does his own stunts. So this guy is not really his stunt double. He's just like a super fan that comes around and like hangs around in the in the parking lot and like is like pretends to be Tom Cruise's best friend. Like that's like the character that Ben Stiller is playing. It's but like Ben Stiller has long been like a big Tom Cruise fan and like like had this idea for this bit and like was really surprised when Tom Cruise like decided to do it with him. It's really, really wow. funny. Um, and they do all this hilarious stuff. There's this one part where they're like, they're, they're like practicing, like taking a punch or something. And so Tom is, is standing there and the guy like who's, who's doing like the martial arts training or something is like leaning up for a punch. And he's like halfway through the punch and they say cut. And they, he's like in mid punch. And then they say, get the other Tom in there. And then they bring Ben Stiller in and he just completes the punch. And so he just, <laughs> I still are punched in the face. Oh, it's so funny. So all right, we'll link um, to that. Yeah, in the description. It's a, you know, it's a great bit. But anyway, like I think this was like I remember reading somewhere, and I don't, I couldn't find it again. But I remember reading somewhere that uh, this was like a big get for Ben Stiller to have Tom Cruise in this movie. Uh, like he was really surprised that he said yes, and like w- was a a great like um, like dream come true for him, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, we, like I said before, he's like, Tom Cruise is so the opposite of Les Grossman in a lot right. of ways. Um, but I think it also, Tom Cruise is kind of polarizing. <laughs> um, and yes. there's definitely a lot of people who are not big fans of his. I think this adds to his likability to, to be able to poke fun at himself like this. Um, right. So, you know, it's all still, it is very much calculated, but it is, it is fun to see him be someone so different. Um, and it's just a shame that, he is such a crazy person because he otherwise right like hands hands down would go down in history as one of like the greatest actors of this generation yeah so. definitely i mean the i mean the fact that there's a tug speedman in this movie is a testament to what tom cruise has done exactly so um is that it for for easter eggs that's all i got for easter eggs all right i just wanted to bring up one of the songs in this movie uh touched on it a little bit before but the song that is always pushed by al pacino or you you hear in his commercial for his products uh it's i it's called i love the pussy this was an actual song i don't know what how they released it or wh- where um people got it my brother got it somehow and it was on my mp3 player when i was a teenager and it is it makes so much more sense now because when I was a kid, I was like, this is just a rap song. <laughs> like, I like this rap song. But, <laughs> like, I knew it was the rap song from Tropic Thunder. But um, it was, it's way more than that. So you can, it's on YouTube. Uh, you can look it up, the whole song. But it's, like, basically the whole song is him promoting more of his products and saying generic things about how obsessed he is with the pussy. Like, and it's and it's to the point where it's, like, he just loves the 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 genital like organ not necessarily right, right, right. anything else like it, he like talks about how he loves to shave it and how like <laughs> he just he goes way too descriptive about how much he loves like pussies in general um while he's also talking about how he, it's, like, it's like it's like why are you like why are you so focused on that you know it's yeah like, exactly oh, right, right, right. <laughs> Why do you put so much emphasis on that exactly? He's like, I am, yeah, it's like screaming, I am heterosexual. Like, I am a male and I love. Believe me, please. I am definitely a heterosexual person. I love having sex with vaginas, except instead he says pussy. Like, it's, yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, It's it's along the lines of um, MC Vaginas. um, uh, What is the song? Uh, Oh, uh, Guns Kill People? Yes, but it, he has other ones. Or I kill people. Yes, but he um, he has other ones that are. Anyways, isn't that same kind of genre of like yeah, yeah, yeah. over the top, 
heterosexuality, which goes so well with his character. Like it, it, the song has no business being as funny as it is. Um, and it also just, he, he has an expanded line of products as well, uh, that go in there. Like he has something called noodle legs and he just talk, basically he just talks about how he just indulges in all of his different products at the same time where he's like, yeah, I'm drinking up that booty sweat while I'm busting a nut. Like he has like, <laughs> that's so funny. Which also, I love how the busted nut bar is like a guy like swinging a sledgehammer, like busting an actual like. <laughs> anyways, anyways, go look that up if you're more interested in Al Pacino's uh, rap career because there was an actual song, and as a teenager, I unironically enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> And now it's time for Affable Chat Theater, where the host of Affable Chat will recreate audio portions of the movie without any of the burdens of production value or classical training. Okay, so my first quote, uh, this is from one of the reporters um, who is, t who is t giving exposition about all of our characters and talking about who they are. On the entertainment um, on, channel. Yeah, it's got like Access Hollywood kind of bit or something, like, you know, it's like on the yeah the e network or something um so this is the reporter speaking lazarus underwent a controversial pigmentation alteration procedure in order to play the platoon's african-american sergeant lincoln osiris so i think this is the portion of the podcast where we talk about blackface <laughs> yes and it's an important thing we have to talk about <laughs> i guess so so first of all i like neither of us are black we i can't i can't necessarily empathize with how it feels seeing someone who like playing a black person on screen i can sympathize i can read about it i can understand why that is problematic i agree that it's not something that we should be doing but to erase it from cultural memory and say it's never appropriate to portray it i think is to ignore something bad right it's uh -huh. to to forget about it and i don't think we should forget about it i think it's something we should remind ourselves about in order to not do it again in the future and there are plenty of movies, this one included, that do it in a way that I think is appropriate and that it's making fun of the people that do it. Um, a great example of a movie that has blackface in it and like is definitely like a very woke movie is the movie uh, Dear White People, which is all about this like uh, black radio program that a woman starts at her college. Um, and at the end of the movie, there's a whole like, a Halloween party where all the white people dress up as black people. And it's like, it's kind of, it's chilling, honestly. This movie, it takes it a much more lighthearted route, but the way that they do it, I think is really important. And I think there's a number of steps that they take in a preparation for this movie that like will put it in a different light, which I think is very interesting. First of all, they got Rick Baker, who is probably Hollywood's best known, um, uh, like effects or makeup artist. He has worked on so many effects movies. He's like, he, it's incredible, his filmography. Um, let me just read some of them. And these are all movies that are known for their makeup. The Exorcist, um, King Kong, um, Star Wars, American Werewolf in London, which he won an Academy Award for. Um, Videodrome, which is like a David Cronenberg movie. Um, Harry and the Hendersons, which is that movie about the about the uh, Bigfoot, Beauty and the Beast, like where like a which was a um, live action one I think that came out in '89, uh, um, The Missing Link, 
Ed Wood, Batman Forever, The Nutty Professor, Escape from L.A., Men in Black, Mighty Joe Young, um, Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, The Ring, Hellboy, um, X-Men The Last Stand, <laughs> Maleficent, Tron, Tropic Thunder, Enchanted, like any movie that has like really great makeup, this guy worked on. Wow. Um, and he he's also worked on movies where he's changed people's races. Uh, the movie Coming to America, which I just saw for the first time a couple of days ago, has a character played by Eddie Murphy. He's a Jewish guy, all white. He, totally unrecognizable. You don't even, you can't hardly see Eddie Murphy in them, in there. But it's Eddie Murphy in white face, in Jewish face. Wow. Uh, and the, the makeup is done by this guy. So if you're going to have anyone put blackface on somebody, you're going to have this guy do it because he's the best ever, uh, basically. Second of all, they actually, before this movie came out, talked to the NC, the NA double, what's it? The NC NAACP. Damn it. <laughs> the NAACP. I can say it. <laughs> and they interviewed a bunch of black journalists to ask them how they felt about this portrayal. And all of them said, that they like they got the joke and thought it was appropriate. Um, so this was not something that was done in a vacuum. This was not some white guy thinking this is a funny bit. This was something that they workshopped, thought about, did a really like thorough job of. Yeah. No. Second I, of, okay, second of all, sorry, in the context of the movie, right? And I don't want to spend the whole movie this whole time defending blackface. I don't think it's, that's necessarily the you're not hill I want blackface. to die off. You're not defending blackface. The the context in the context of the movie, they actually have. A black guy in the cast, which I think is extremely important, who calls out Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Kirk Lazarus, over and over again. There's that one part where um, he says, where Ben Stiller uses the phrase, you people, uh, which is a famous like way to dismiss uh, black people. And um, Kirk Lazarus says, what do you mean, you people? And Al Pacino in the background says, what do you mean, you people? Like, who do you think you are? <laughs> And there's all there's several parts where he he's like he's he like pretends to be black to um, Al Pacino specifically, and Al Pacino is like no, like that's not okay. You can't be doing that. He even in Kirk Lazarus even asks for forgiveness, and uh, Al Pacino doesn't forgive him. Like even in the context of the movie, the the other characters don't think it's appropriate. So I think if you're gonna do something like this, I think it's a I think it's done extremely well. And it just goes to show how far Kirk Lazarus will go for a bit without realizing what he's really doing, right? And I think when he when he talks about like, oh, I worked in a like, you know, of what's that, a textile factory or something for eight months or whatever it was, like yeah, he did yeah. something um, to like get into the character of this. It's almost the same kind of thing. Whereas exploiting somebody else's poor fortune for his own personal gain right like look i know what it's like to be like you because i spent some time in that it's like do you really can can you really if you paint yourself up like this or you go through some controversial pigmentation alterations like does that actually mean you understand what it's like to be in someone's shoes like i don't i don't think so and the fact that he thinks it might is just indicating of his poor understanding of how things work i think no i think i think you've said it exactly right joy um, and you're not defending blackface. I think what you're doing is defending the idea that you can ha represent harmful things in culture because you have context. It's like right. you could make a similar argument being like, I don't want to watch Inglorious Bastards because it has Nazi imagery in it. And I don't want to promote Nazi imagery. It's like you're right. not promoting it. 
They literally, <laughs> well, they literally kill Nazis in the movie. Yes. Um, so, yeah, and I think this goes along with that as well. There, there, people can hear, I understand when people hear, Robert Downey Jr. did blackface in Tropic Thunder. And if you've never seen Tropic Thunder and you see that it came out like a little while ago, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Robert Downey Jr. didn't get like, he's not totally getting punished for this. You know, he's gone. um, There's no uh, repercussions for him. But any amount of context for this film will inform you enough that this is not an endorsement. And they do, like you said. It's the exact opposite. Yeah, Yeah, it's the exact opposite. And And that's, I think that we should be able to have that. You know, you could make right. the argument where it's like blackface is totally inappropriate, no matter the context, which sounds true. It definitely sounds true. Um, but I feel like there still is context. I think that it, context is everything. And it's, I mean, that's just a heuristic, right? You're just you're skipping to the let's do the easy way, right? Yes. And like, and again, like, I think you need to have portrayals of awful things occasionally in order to remind you that they're awful. Yes. No. And I think it's right. I think you've said it all. Um, and I, I. I um you know it's an important part of this movie uh but it's not the only thing you know and no, I not think at all. people like to overgeneralize it's, it and maybe and when they make fun of it is from the from the best bits too yes <laughs> um okay uh, I think we're ready to move on to the next scene okay so this is when uh Kirk and uh Tug are in the woods and they're talking about acting um and they're talking about what it means to be an actor uh, they're having this conversation. Yes, and I'll be playing Kirk Lazarus. And I will be Tug Speedman. Then again, I always found mere observation in and of itself is a tad rudimentary. Sometimes we got to dig deeper to mine the true emotional pay dirt. Thus, we can diagram the source of the pain and then live it, you know. Yeah, yeah, live it. Yeah, exactly. You know, there were times when I was doing Jack that I actually felt retarded. Like, really retarded. Dang. In a weird way, I had to sort of free myself up to believe that it was okay to be stupid or dumb. <laughs> There's more to this quote, too, where Kirk is clearly just calling Tug dumb like, yeah. over and over again. <laughs> Farting in a bathtub and laughing about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I, no, I, I like this quote <laughs> for a couple of reasons. I think it's, um, I think, first of all, like, the way Kirk Lazarus kind of turns this on his head and just has an excuse to call Tug Speedman dumb is hilarious. But also the um, the way that they're kind of he's thinking about acting in this part, especially where he says, in a weird way, I had to sort of free myself up to believe, you know, like it's that deconstruction of self to rebuild it as something new that I think is a kind of a testament of true acting. It's something that we talked about in um, American Psycho, too, where uh, you know, Roger Ebert said about Christian Bale's performance that he had no instinct for self-preservation. Same kind of thing. You, if you tear yourself down and you become just a baseline, like I'm a human being, and then build yourself up through this character, right? You become that character in a new way um, and are un- unapologetic about that and um, like free to completely be that without any reservations about how that looks toward yourself, right? It's why... It's so disappointing that Kevin Hart can't look past the fact that one of the characters in here is gay, right? It's like, even if that was a problem for you, which it really shouldn't be, like, you know that you know that people realize that it's just a person, like, you're still a person, right? Like, the, you're just playing a character. Like, how much of that conflates, really, you know? Yeah. It, it, being able to put yourself into that situation of being, like, fully trusting the audience to, to believe that you aren't the person you're saying you are, I think 
is something that actors have to be able to do in order to actually achieve, achieve something good. Well, yeah. Otherwise, you would never want to play anybody who's anything but good. Yes. You know, and what you view as good, too. Right. Like a specific ideology. So, Which I think a lot of, especially A-list actors, kind of struggle with. Well, I mean, again, we keep returning to this talk, but I think it's so interesting. It's like the like script calculus that the uh, Fast and the Furious stars have to do to maintain their like same brand image right. is, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's bizarre the way they have to decide those things beforehand because otherwise they're afraid people take what they see in the movie as more of like a real life impact. Yes, although they kind of do play themselves. <laughs> They do. <laughs> like, there is a little bit of it. I can understand that a little bit. And I can understand that there are lots of people out there that like confuse movies with reality. But it's it hinders the art, I think. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, this next quote is also from Kirk Lazarus. This is when uh, Jay Baruchel, is, uh, his character, is talking about um, how they need to execute a plan, the same plan that's in the script. And then we have Kirk Lazarus saying this, and then I will be um, uh, Kevin uh, Spielman. No, that's not right. Kevin Sandusky. <laughs> Can't remember his name. And I'll be Kirk Lazarus. <laughs> that's right. I'll read the script. The script reads me. What the hell does that even mean? <laughs> what the hell does that even mean? <laughs> so through, throughout this movie, Kirk Lazarus has all of these colloquialisms that he just puts out you know all these things that sound kind of cool but are don't really mean anything you know they're just like <laughs> <laughs> they're just like little tiny things that he says they're like yeah i'll get out of this by saying this <laughs> i'll just quote the jeffersons and i'll be totally fine you know <laughs> that's that's a pass but uh this is exactly one of those where he's like <laughs> i don't read the script the script reads me what is does that it's mean? yeah it's just one of kirk lazarus many yeah uh colloquialisms like man i don't drop character till i do the dvd commentary like, <laughs> he's such a pro man uh, i guess that's what that means pro means don't read the script uh he's one with the movie you know that yes has become one with the script i am the script all right, so um, I don't, I'm not going to preface this one very much. I think you'll recognize it once I get started, but for this next scene, I'm going to be playing Les Grossman. First, take a big step back and literally fuck your own face. I don't know what kind of pan-Pacific bullshit power play you're trying to pull here, but Asia Jack is my territory. So whatever you're thinking, you'd better think again. Otherwise, I'm going to have to head down there, and I will rain down an ungodly fucking firestorm upon you. You're going to have to call the fucking United Nations and get a fucking binding resolution to keep me from fucking destroying you. I am talking scorched earth, motherfucker. I will massacre you. I will fuck you up. Well done. Yes. Well done. <laughs> I, you can never match uh, what what Les Grossman actually delivers in the movie, but it did feel nice to kind of um, embody him just there. And I'm also going to be a complete asshole to you for the rest of the podcast because I'm doing method acting now as Great. Les Grossman. And that's the only way I can do it. <laughs> I can definitely handle that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to return to this quote just because I wanted to appreciate Les Grossman. I think I've already said most of the stuff I want to say about him, um, but he is an absolute monster of a person. Uh, and I mean that in a bad way. And uh, this is just an example of kind of the way that he goes about interacting with literally anyone. And what's in, what's really interesting about that is that he is 
totally fine with that. He has so much power that doing something like this actually isn't that bad for him. Like, no, he, not at all. It it's get, actually beneficial. Yes. You know, even though it just seems like a passionate like rant that he just came up with on the spot. Apparently, it's also good for business, and that's what he needs to do. Is it right after this one that they say, that he says we don't negotiate with terrorists? This is not that one. This is the first okay. phone call. But then Red Dragon, or sorry, Flaming Dragon calls Flaming back. Flaming Dragon. So they yes. call back, and um, and that's when he says that they can kill uh, Simple Jack. He doesn't care, um, right? And right, that right. they'll collect on the insurance, which is just so dark. Like, <laughs> so. <laughs> And they start playing low, and uh, Bill Hader is there too, and they're both trying to seduce. Uh, what is his name? Rick. Uh, Rick Pecker. Rick Pecker. <laughs> the Pecker. Rick Peck uh, into joining them, and he guarantees him all these things. And the way he says it, he's not like, "I'm just going to give it to you immediately." He's like, "Way down the line." I'm talking way down the line. Like that's a, like basically what he's doing is he's like, "Join my sphere of influence, right? Right. And right. I'll make you rich and powerful." Because these are the type of things, like, now that you're in on it, now that you know, it's kind of, like, now you're part of it. And it's hilarious how much Rick has to decide whether or not he wants to be a part of that. Um, but, yeah, I think I don't want to spend too much more time on Les Grossman. Amazing character and amazing delivery from uh, Tom Cruise here. Absolutely. So, Joey, I believe you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. So one of the things that happens in this movie is uh, there's a character named Fourleaf, um, who is a army vet, a vet, a vet from a veteran from the uh, Vietnam War, who's had his hands blown off, um, and yet w- wrote a well-renowned book that is now being um, adapted into a movie, uh, and so he's like on the set to be like consult or whatever. Even Les Grossman shows him respect when he finds right. out who he is. He's like, you're a, you're a goddamn American hero. <laughs> right. But also shut up. Yeah. Um, but you find out uh, about halfway through the movie that not only does uh, Floral Leaf actually have his hands, um, but he actually didn't ever leave the U.S. <laughs> he was in the military, but he was in the Coast Guard. He, was, he never actually deployed to Vietnam. Um, so this is an example of something that's known as stolen valor, uh, which is a actual crime that you can commit in, um, the U S yes. So there was actually a couple of different laws that were passed. One of them was in 2005, which was overturned in 2012 and then recreated in 2013. It's called the stolen valor act of 2013. And, um, Basically, it's it really only comes to effect if you're trying to get like veteran benefits or like any other kind of major benefit. Um, you know, if you're getting some sort of discount at a movie theater or like at a burger joint or something, it's kind of hard to prosecute that. But technically, that does fall under this act. Um, but it's like a whole thing, and there's actually this whole world out there of people that are trying to track down people that have stolen valor um, and. Uh, and like call him out for it. And there's this guy named Don Shipley, who is a old uh, uh, U.S. Navy vet um, who for, uh, spent a brief time uh, working for Blackwater, a mercenary group in Afghanistan, just a thing to point out. Uh-huh. Um, he is uh, kind of a controversial figure. He, his YouTube channel got shut down because he was literally doxing people uh, who he deemed as, you know, stealing valor. So, you know, like what's worse in a way right um obviously he's kind of going off in his own kind of vigilante justice calling out these people doing his own research you know how much 
like he can make mistakes, right? He's just a person. Uh, I, I don't, I believe his intentions are probably good, but it doesn't mean that he's not going to call someone out, uh, not on purpose. So I feel like it was probably a good thing that they took that down or at least mitigated how much he could dox people. Right. Uh, because he's still definitely making videos and still definitely doxing people. Um, the question I think is, is this, what is what he's doing a good thing? It's kind of an interesting dichotomy here. No, no, who's the he in this case? Don Shipley or okay. people that call out uh, stolen valor people. Because, like, it, there, there's like there's a bunch of there's a type one and type two error here, right? Like, if you if you lay out your your grid, right? In one situation, you call somebody out who is not a veteran, right? Or is is a veteran but is claiming to do something that they didn't, which is the other type of stolen valor, which is what Four Leaf does, right? He was really in the military. He deserves some credit for that, but he didn't do what he claimed he did, right? That's that's like equally as bad in the eyes of these guys. Right, oh, um, definitely. Um, so you call someone out and then like that's, you know, who actually deserves it. But then there's like, you don't call somebody out who doesn't, who, who does deserve it, right? What's the, what's the problem with that? Well, it's possible they could go as far as, you know, getting some sort of benefit from the government. But really what this is going to look like is like they feel better about themselves. They sometimes get free drinks at the bar, right? They can tell some stories that aren't theirs. Um, and a lot of these people that do this, like our people theorize are like mentally ill and are and actually believe that they were in the military and that this is some sort of other thing that they're it's a symptom of a different problem. Right. Some of the people are just like, like feel terrible about themselves and are very insecure. And so they buy a military uniform and then go out and reap the benefits from that of being a military person in public. But then there's like, there's the not calling someone out who doesn't deserve it. Right. So, which is like everyone else, you and I normally walking down the street, not getting called out for being in the military. Like that's what normal ha normally happens. But then there's the calling someone out who is in the military and is not lying. Right. Right. And in a lot of these situations, it's hard to tell whether this person is really who they say they are, right? Because imagine if you are, imagine if you were a vet, right? Imagine if you, you were decorated, you did something that deserves some sort of like honor. And then some guy who thinks he knows better uh, harasses you on the street and says, hey, you're a liar. Hey, like you don't deserve all that stuff that, that uh, they said you did right what like how dare you be how dare you claim all that how dare you do this like would you give that guy the time of day would you just like wouldn't the grown-up thing be just to ignore him and in a in a way it's like this kafka trap right where like no matter what you do whether you like you're you're stuck you can't get out of it because if someone says you did it it's your their word against yours right and right. don shipley who is this decorated you know U.S. Navy guy, right? Who who's like had his YouTube channel and is known for doing this. If he says, "Hey, you're not a veteran," like even though you might be, it sucks to be you, basically. Um, and it's I don't know. It's kind of a I mean, it's definitely a, a hairy situation. I think that I think some of these people probably deserve to like have them you know taken down a notch if they really are lying. But I don't know if the type two error really justifies it, you know, because yeah, yeah. the people that actually like deserve the credit should in no way be questioned about that. You know, I I think that's something that they deserve to just live their lives and claim to do, you know, like it doesn't matter that much. Well, so 
I'll add a wrinkle to this whole situation because there are some guys who you can't really call out because they don't actually claim any veteran status, but Mm -hmm. they still seek to get um, a little bit of recognition for being Um, pro-military. This is something that I've seen uh, called out on Instagram for these like pro-military accounts where they call it implied valor, where... Um, there are these Instagram accounts where people will always take pictures with their guns and they'll be wearing military like uniform type stuff, like tactical vests and, and all this other stuff. And everything is a very American flag and like saluting. And it's like, like sometimes you have to be like brave on the front lines, basically kind of cosplaying as like gener- yeah. generic military fetishizing the military. But those guys have never been in the military, you know? So, but they, they gain this massive following from people who genuinely do support the military, and that's something that appeals to them online. So you have these clean-cut, sexy-looking guys with guns who all they do is take photos, but they get the same recognition that like people who want to support the military uh, that are giving out, right? They're they're out there yeah, giving yeah. that kind of you know the it I just love how it, it's it definitely has spawned off of stolen valor because now there's this middle ground where you can just imply that you've done these things not necessarily say anything that anyone can hold against you and still reap the benefits from like a social perspective. I hate that. I really hate that. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I just thought it was weird. It just reminded me of that. This is a weird phenomenon uh, around like the idea of value. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's super it's super weird. And like, I don't know. I I think like these people pro- like definitely deserve the credit they they get. And honestly, like if you're if your idea of like I'm gonna be cool now by being pretending to be in the military, like like it doesn't matter that much to me obviously but uh, i guess someone who's been in the military would probably see that as very offensive i'm not sure yeah i don't I, know because i think a lot of people would probably just be like you know what just let them do it you know whatever yeah no i mean my mom and my dad are both retired military and i've never seen them they've never been the type of people to like flaunt it or right. be all about i mean they have 45 how, years combined service i um, think that's like how most people are right you know? they're just like this is a thing about me it's not it doesn't define me well and, and also at a certain point i feel like seeing how the sausages get made is almost like eh, i don't really think i want to be totally defined by this. right <laughs> you know i'm a person also uh, right i think there's probably reasonable people who have served in the military who are a little di- more disillusioned than the people that are doing the implied valor thing of thinking it's like oh it's the coolest thing ever right, right. the people that think that are probably the ones that never really saw much action mm-hmm. probably no definitely so okay all right and move on to our ratings yes so that wraps up the discussion as we do on every episode we're going to deliver our ratings for the movie joey what rating do you give tropic thunder i give this movie a movie deal nice (laughs) it earned it it definitely earned it well written i give this movie two prosthetic hooks way up (laughs) (laughs) so um so there you have it um all right joey what's next on tropic thunder Tropic Thunder. Yes, <laughs> we've renamed the podcast Tropic it's Thunder. It's now Tropic Thunder, the podcast. And uh, um, what are we doing next week? Next week we are doing Mary Poppins, the All original. Right. The original, not the uh, Lin With Manuel, not the one where Lin Manuel Miranda plays Mary Poppins. We're doing the original. <laughs> <laughs> what year is the original from? It's old, right? It's old. Hold it's on. From the how, old ex- times. how accessible is the original? Is it on Disney Plus? 
Great question. I have a uh, DVD, so. Okay, well, we'll have to figure that. I don't want to have to. 1964. 1964, okay. Well, yeah, we'll have to track that one down. But that's what we're doing next on Affable Chat. A limited time exclusive deal here on the podcast. If you want to hear right. your voice played on the podcast, all you have to do is dial our number, 833-600-2428. Yes, that's 833-600-CHAT. This is going away. All right, it's gonna be gone like a miracle. It's like a miracle. <laughs> they say as the as the weather gets warmer, it's just gonna go disappear. It's just gonna okay? disappear. It's just gonna be gone, and everyone will think it's such a funny memory because <laughs> no one has called in a while. So, <laughs> if you want to hear your voice on this podcast, the easiest way to be featured on a podcast is just to dial our phone number, which is eight three three six hundred. And this is this is your last chance. It really is. Next time we record, we're shutting this thing down. So you got. You got it. as much time as that takes. That's right. Who knows? <laughs> that's right. So one more time, that's 833-600-2428. 833-600-CHAT. Phones are open anytime. Leave anytime. us a message. They're, they're just waiting for you to call. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you listen to us, make sure you leave us a review. We're also on YouTube, too. We just That's right. Podcasts on YouTube. As yes, well. so you can subscribe to us there, and uh, you know, leave us a comment or uh, uh, you know, smash that like button. You can reach Give us, us one of those likes. That's right. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Affable Chat. Also on TikTok, same handle at Affable Chat, um, or you can send us an email affablechat at gmail.com. Yes, and we also, as in addition to uploading the podcast to the YouTube channel, we also have YouTube videos that are not about movies um, worth checking out as well. Just search Affable Chat on YouTube. That's right. We're the only ones. We're the only Apple chat on the internet. Um, that's right. So that's going to do it for this episode on Tropic Thunder. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>